Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco, Texas. And when you do, book a stay at the Hampton Inn, Waco North. This episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast is in the locker room with Raymond Berry. We'll take a look into the life and career of Texas Sports Hall of Famer and NFL legend Raymond Berry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money and also writer-director of We Were the Oilers, The Love You Blue Era. And today, we take a look at Raymond Berry, who is still recognized in the world of pro football as one of the greatest pass catchers in history. He and Don Hudson are the only two players in NFL history to lead the league in receptions three years in a row. Raymond led the NFL in touchdown catches in both 1958 and 1959 and led the league in receiving yards three out of four years between 1957 and 1960. At the time of his retirement, Raymond Berry had more catches than any other player in NFL history. He was named to the Pro Bowl six times and won two world championships with Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Colts. He was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1973. Raymond was born in 1933. His father coached high school football in Paris, Texas, as World War II dominated the nation's headlines. My dad was a Texas high school football coach, so between uh, high school football and World War II, that was kind of my growing up years. We had a couple of cousins that served in World War II, and I kept up with them, and Neither one of them came home, but uh, we made our contribution as a family to World War II. Raymond's father earned an outstanding reputation as a coach. Some of you might have listened to our Gene Stallings episode, and you might remember that Raymond Berry's father also coached Texas Sports Hall of Famer Gene Stallings in high school. Raymond states that much of his father's football philosophy was picked up from legendary Notre Dame coach Newt Rockney. He made the trip to South Bend, Indiana to hear Rockney lecture more than once, I think. My dad said Newt Rockney was the best public speaker that he ever heard. And my dad heard Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt. Raymond adds that his father's coaching style was rooted in simplicity. But my dad kept it simple as a football coach. I learned the power of simplicity from watching him coach and his football system was ABC and he didn't get past C. After high school, Raymond Berry spent a year playing junior college football at the Shriner Institute in Kerrville, Texas. Although slight in weight, Berry excelled on the field. His play caught the attention of SMU head football coach and Texas Sports Hall of Fame inductee Rusty Russell. Well, I played one year of junior college football at Shriner. I led the Pioneer Conference in pass receiving. I didn't weigh but 150 pounds at the time, so he just said, well, why don't you come up here and I'll let you have a try. I'll let you know if I think you can make it in the Southwest Conference. So the senior tailback threw to me during the drills that we were running against the varsity pass defense. We lit up the practice field pretty good with him throwing and me catching, and so I got my scholarship. 
Barry enrolled in SMU at about the same time the NCAA wanted to limit football scholarships. Rule changes heavily limited substitution, and players played both offense and defense. That really lent itself to my particular strengths as a football player because I was a really excellent defensive player. I was defensive end, outside linebacker. I played right next to Forrest Gregg. The two of us pretty well limited what the opponent was going to do when he was running the ball. We played Notre Dame twice. They were national champions at the time. I remember Notre Dame finally quit running at Forrest and I. (laughs) 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 But they weren't making any yards, so they went the other way. Forrest Gregg later earned a spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame after winning several championships with the Green Bay Packers. Gregg is also a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. He wasn't the only one of Barry's teammates to earn a spot in both Halls of Fame. The Mustangs roster also included Lamar Hunt. Yeah, he played the same position as I did, and needless to say, he didn't get to play much, and so he decided to found his own football league, so that's what he made. <laughs> he was a real good athlete, a real good player, but at that particular time at SMU, there were really great players being recruited because the Doak Walker era had just finished and everybody who was a football player in Texas wanted to go to SMU. We got to know each other real well because he played in the same position as I did. He was a very genuine person and real down to earth and you would never know that he came from that much money. Tremendous talent spread throughout the Southwest Conference in the 1950s. Well, it was a very evenly divided conference. And the reason for that is that the state of Texas was turning out more football players than practically any state in the Union. So every major college was getting great football players, and a lot of them. TCU and Baylor, University of Texas and Texas A&M, University of Arkansas was in that conference. And so the competition was very extreme. The Baltimore Colts drafted Raymond Berry in the 20th round of the 1954 NFL Draft. Few, if any, could predict Berry's future success. Texas Sports Hall of Fame inductee Gil Brandt, who served as a scout for the Rams and 49ers before working as vice president of player personnel for the Dallas Cowboys for three decades, explains why. It was a surprise that he was drafted because, you know, he only caught 33 passes at SMU and one touchdown in three years. He was not fast. He was probably a 4.75 guy, and it was surprising that he made the team that first year as a 20th round draft choice. That doesn't usually happen. And in his first year there, he played sparingly. Raymond caught only 13 passes his rookie year. Colts head coach Weeb Eubank signed a new quarterback before Barry's second year. That quarterback, a man named Johnny Unitas, reported to training camp a week before Barry needed to report. Raymond shares with us his first memories of the former University of Louisville quarterback who had become an American sports icon. I was a rookie with the Baltimore Colts the same year he was a rookie with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He got cut by the Steelers as a rookie and played semi-pro football that particular football season with the Bloomfield Rams. We, Bubank, our head coach, was real good friends with the head coach at the University of Louisville, and he told Weeb to 
sign Humanus uh, as a free agent because he could play, and uh, we took his advice. In those days, the rookies reported about a week earlier so the coaches could look at them, and whenever I came to training camp that year with the Colts, we told me, he said, work with Unanus, work with Unanus. He already recognized that he had something special. Unanus and I began to work together after practice, and that's where we developed the timing and a feel for each other. The Colts' 1956 training camp was the genesis of one of the greatest quarterback-to-receiver tandems in NFL history. Raymond tells us one of the key parts to the magic happened in the huddle. The system in Baltimore was that the quarterback called the plays. So as I began to study film and develop fakes and moves and pass routes, uh, I got very good at recognizing what I could do to a defensive back. And so... As the huddle was forming, I would just tell him, I said, uh, 76-CO, or I just call the whole formation in play, and he would usually call it, and uh, we would usually hit it. I was a good source of information for Unanus, or to put it another way, we, we never wasted any plays. If I told him we could run a particular pass route, we'd run it and be successful at it. Uh, I didn't waste any time. I know one particular game we were in, he would say, well, what, what do you got, Raymond? I said, I had not got anything right yet. And so a little bit later, he'd ask, what, what do you got, Raymond? And I said, no, I don't really have anything yet. So uh, a little bit later, he, he said, what do you got, Raymond? I said, I ain't got nothing yet. He said, you got to have something. <laughs> 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 and I, I finally figured out how I could beat the guy, so we beat him. <laughs> Raymond figured out how to beat just about any defensive back. Now remember, he wasn't the fastest guy on the field by any stretch. When speaking with Raymond, he said that he began studying film quite a bit once he started playing in Baltimore. He would learn the tendencies defenses would use in certain situations, and he'd figure out ways to beat them. Another key part of Raymond's game relied on his unparalleled ability to run pass routes. In an interview with the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2002, Raymond mentioned that a Colts assistant coach taught him the concept of running six or seven different variations of the same route. He'd have a single fake version or a double fake version. On top of that, Raymond was extremely precise in how he ran the routes. Colts second string quarterback Cotton Davidson who returned to the team in 1957 after serving in the U.S. Army, comments on how precise Raymond was at running pass routes and how important it was for the quarterback. He ran them the same each time to the step. He was just very aware of running his routes exactly the same where a quarterback could read them. You see every day on television a quarterback lay it out there and the kid didn't break to go to that spot. And I played 12 years and he was the most dependable receiver that I've ever played with. Cotton then illustrated just how incredibly precise Raymond Berry's pass route running skills were with a game day example. We went out to L.A. from Baltimore one year, and we went out on the field and warmed up, and he came back and he said, that hash mark wasn't marked off right. And uh, somebody got a tape and measured it, and sure enough, it wasn't. The Colts concluded their 1957 season in Los Angeles as the second game of a West Coast trip. Raymond Berry recalls for us those two games and how those games 
helped launch the Colts to play at their highest level. We went to the West Coast as we normally did that in those days and played two games. We played the Rams and we played the 49ers. We lost both games out there and there's something about the, having that experience that we all realized that we had lost to two teams that we should have beaten and it just kind of gelled in, in our heads and we came back to the 1958 season and we knew we were going to win the world championship. We had that much confidence. We'll chat with Raymond about the 1958 NFL Championship game, one that's referred to as the greatest game ever played, when we return to In the Locker Room with Raymond Berry on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Hi guys, this is the Rocket, Roger Clemens, and you're listening to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. If you've enjoyed listening today, please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells the story of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Hampton Inn Waco North. Located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. The Hampton Inn has recently been renovated and includes free hot breakfast, free Wi-Fi, and an indoor-outdoor pool. And since the Hampton Inn is the official hotel of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, you never know who you might bump into in the lobby. Hey, is that Earl Campbell? to In the Locker Room with Raymond Berry on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Before the break, Raymond talked about how losing the two games on the West Coast gelled in the Colts' heads during the offseason. And that's a good segue into discussing Raymond's offseason programs. One component of that off-season conditioning was passing drills with a very special partner, his wife. I would start working out during the month of March. I started with my running and conditioning, and I needed somebody to throw to me, and there wasn't anybody that could throw, and we weren't in Baltimore at the time, and so I let her start throwing, and she did very well. I would have to throw the ball too low, too high behind me and work on all the bad catches and uh, she threw them real well and uh, I got my practice catching that I needed to catch. Raymond led the NFL in receptions in 1958 and the confident Colts won the NFL's Western Division. They faced the New York Giants at Yankee Stadium for the 1958 NFL Championship. Millions watched the game on television and the teams rewarded the viewers with one of the most exciting finishes in league history. The Colts trailed the Giants 17-14 with less than two minutes remaining and had the ball on their own 14-yard line. In the first four plays of the drive, the Colts had moved the ball 11 yards. 
Then quarterback Johnny Unitas turned to Raymond Barry. We had given him the authority to call the game, and so he was doing what he instinctively felt like was the best thing to do. And in that particular case, he uh, felt like he just wanted to throw the ball to me. On a second down and 10 from the Colts' 25, Unitas threw to Raymond Barry, who shook a tackle and gained 25 yards to put the ball at midfield. On the next play, Barry caught the ball for a 15-yard gain. Then Unitas turned to Raymond for a third straight play, a 22-yard gain that left the ball on the Giants' 13-yard line. On the drive that sent the game into overtime, and he hit me on three passes in a row and to put the ball in field goal range. And uh, so we kicked the field goal and went into overtime. Later on, I asked John Unitas, why did you come to me three times in a row? He said, oh, I figured you'd catch it. (laughs) (laughs) The new sudden death overtime rule meant the first team to score in overtime won the game. The Colts scored a touchdown on their first possession to win 23-17. Raymond made two key receptions in overtime, including one on 3rd and 15 that gave the Colts a first down. In the game's two most important drives, Barry had five catches for 95 yards. For the game, he had 12 catches for 178 yards and one touchdown. His 12 catches stood as an NFL championship game record until Super Bowl 48. Raymond's sure-handedness is another hallmark of his play. Like Johnny Unitas said, he kept going to Raymond Barry because he knew Barry would catch the ball. Unitas also knew that Raymond wouldn't fumble. Cotton Davidson tells us that Raymond's receiving philosophy was kept simple with an ABC three-step process. He said his motto for a receiver is to catch, tuck, and explode. Now, you catch it, but you get control of it and duck it away before you really take off running. You don't want to fumble the ball. So all those things are things that most receivers don't even think about. Gil Brandt talks about another aspect of Raymond Barry's catching ability that sets him apart. He always caught the ball with his hands and arms extended. You know, a lot of guys catch the ball, they're chest catchers, body catchers, whatever you want to call them, but he caught the ball with his arms extended. Brant also credits Barry for being an innovator, introducing the league to a technique that receivers are now expected to master. He had this great ability to toe-tap. He brought the art of toe-tapping into the league. Raymond's style of catching, with arms extended, stretched out to keep his toes in bounds, required a tremendous amount of hand strength. Raymond talks about his style of catching and the physical toll it took on him. The act of catching a football, at least the way I did it, coming at full speed, the nose of the football hits the thumb. So after a lot of years of taking a lot of pounding of John Unitas' fastball, I looked down one day and my thumb was just, uh, looked like it was out of joint, which it was. Raymond told us that moment happened in the second half of his career. He found that squeezing a ball of Theraplast putty helped keep his hands strong. The putty I was using to strengthen my fingers and my thumbs in particular became a real necessity to try to offset the disadvantage of having a thumb that was not operating properly. Raymond retired after the 1967 NFL season, having played his entire career for the Baltimore Colts. 
With the Colts, he won two championships in 1958 and 1959. He also played in the 1964 NFL Championship. When he retired, Raymond was the NFL career all-time leader in receptions and receiving yards and was tied for fourth in receiving touchdowns. Raymond's playing career had ended and his coaching career was about to start, even though he hadn't necessarily planned to get into coaching. Well, I was a Christian and I knew that I had to check with the Lord to find out what he wanted me to do after I got through playing. And the one thing that I didn't want to do was coach. I knew too much about the coaching business and uh, I really didn't want any part of it. Dallas Cowboys head coach Tom Landry had faced Raymond Berry several times, including as defensive coordinator of the New York Giants in the 1958 NFL Championship game. After Raymond Berry hung up his cleats playing football, Tom Landry picked up the phone. He called me in as soon as I retired and offered me a job on the Dallas Cowboys staff. My first conversation with him, I told him, no, I didn't think I was going to go into coaching. So he called me and talked to me about doing it. He kept on calling me. And finally, I began to realize that God wanted me to coach. So I accepted a coaching job with Coach Landry in Dallas. Coach Landry hired Raymond to coach the receivers. Gil Brandt remembers Raymond showing up to training camp and impressing everyone with his organizational skills. I'll tell you how organized the guy was. He was driving here from wherever it was, Chicago or wherever. I said, how was your drive? It was real easy. I said, is that right? He said, yeah, I got this system. Well, what he did is he cut the map out. You know, how you go from Highway 89 to 214 to so-and-so. And what he did is he pasted it all together in a circle and hung it on his rearview mirror. So then now he's starting in whatever town it is, and he now he gets to the next town, he moves the road map, he gets to the next town, he moves the road map. So he never has to stop the car to look, to take his eyes off the road. He just got the map right in front of him. Remember, this was in 1968, decades before GPS. I guess you could call it BPS. Berry positioning system. Cotton Davidson tells us that that level of preparation was just part of Raymond's character. Raymond Berry was not only this way in playing football, he was that particular in doing the things right in life. When we used to fly out to the West Coast, you know, there was a time change there from Baltimore to Los Angeles or San Francisco. And he would start sleeping according to the West Coast time instead of Baltimore time. He wanted to make sure when he got out there, his body was ready for that time. As those two stories show, Raymond's standards of excellence are just a way of life for him. And as Gil Brandt notes, even in retirement, Raymond had the ability to notice details on the field that pretty much everybody else missed. His first year with us, Uh, at training camp. We got out to the field, and he said, this field's three feet too narrow. I said, Raymond, how do you know? He said, I can just tell. It's three feet too narrow. And so we went out and measured the field, and it was three feet too narrow. Working with the Cowboys receivers meant that Raymond was working with future Hall of Famer Bob Hayes. Coaching Bob Hayes, it was the easiest coaching job I ever had because all he had to do to get open was leave the line of scrimmage, and he was open. He just ran down the field and turned around. I thought to myself, man, I used every trick in the book trying to get open when I was playing. And here's a guy that doesn't do anything but leave the line of scrimmage and he's open. 
Raymond worked as the receivers coach for the Cowboys for a couple of seasons, and then the University of Arkansas's Frank Broyles hired him away to work with the Razorbacks. Raymond returned to the NFL a few years later and worked as an assistant coach with the Lions, Browns, and Patriots. In 1981, the Patriots fired their coaching staff and Raymond left coaching. He said he didn't miss it at all. But then the Patriots fired their head coach in the middle of the 1984 season and subsequently hired Raymond as the head coach of the New England Patriots. The team that I inherited when I took over was, uh, psychologically, they were a beat-down team. But I started looking at this football team, and I thought to myself, good grief. They've got everything they need to win a world championship. They had been drafting really well, and the depth at quarterback, they had two quarterbacks. So you could win with both of them, Steve Grogan and Tony Eason. The offensive line was solid as a rock from tackle to tackle. Then they had four receivers that you could put them up against anybody. Stanley Morgan and Harold Jackson were the two starters, and they could run against anybody. The team that I took over had everything it needed to be a champion, but they just didn't have any belief in themselves. So that's where I began to tell them about what they were capable of doing, and they began to believe it. Patriots kicker Tony Franklin, a member of the 2019 Texas Sports Hall of Fame class, shares with us a message that Barry gave the Patriots and the effect it had on the team. Raymond used to tell us all the time, the only way that we are limited is if we limit ourselves. By him believing in us and the coaches staff believing in us, then we eventually got to a point where we believed in ourselves. And, you know, if we ever got behind, we never panicked. We knew we were going to get an opportunity to get back in the football game. And that all came from Raymond. As Barry took over the team in the second half of the 1984 season, he needed to familiarize himself with the players. The funniest thing that I saw was Raymond was on the sidelines and he carried a little notepad with him with everybody's name and number because he didn't know everybody really that well. Raymond also installed a new offense. The offense that they had had in there was not adequate to run in the NFL. We got very basic, very simple. You can only start out doing so much the first year. and So we had an ABC offense. 1985 was Raymond's first full season as head coach of the New England Patriots. The team went through a stretch of winning eight out of nine games, and the only loss during that streak was in overtime. The team finished 11-5, and but competition in the AFC East was fierce that year, and they finished third behind the Dolphins and Jets. Still, the Patriots made the playoffs as a wild card. We played the Jets' first playoff game on the road at the Meadowlands, and we beat the Jets 26-14. to Then the next week, we had to go to the Coliseum in L.A. and play the Raiders, and we beat them 27-20. And then we played the AFC Championship in Miami. And New England, since the advent of the old Boston Patriots and the AFL, had never won in Miami. Don Shula was head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Raymond and Shula had been teammates on the Colts in the mid-50s. Shula was also head coach of the 1964 Colts team that Raymond Barry starred on and made the NFL championship game. And now, the two squared off as coaches with a berth in the Super Bowl at stake. Miami had Dan Marino as a quarterback, and we had Steve Grogan as our quarterback. We had uh, tremendous defense, and we had the whole ball of wax on offense. We could do anything, but I did keep it simple, kept it very basic. 
Mamet was way overcomplicated in everything they were doing. You know, it was a big disadvantage for Dan Marino to be handed an offense that had way too many plays, and it, you can't really master too much when you have too many plays. The, the success they had was because of Marino's ability to overcome complexity and he had enough skill to do that, but when we played on, we had a ABC offense, and we knew how to shoot our bullets, and we beat them pretty bad. We ended up beating Miami in a monsoon, I think 31-14, to 14, to get to the Super Bowl, and that's the first time that any football team had won three games on the road to get to the Super Bowl. The Chicago Bears ended the Patriots' magic with a decisive win over New England in Super Bowl Twenty. But Raymond had taught the Patriot players to believe in themselves, and the team had reached its potential. It goes to show you how simple it can be sometimes. If you got great players, you know, give them a six-shooter with four bullets in it and tell them they can win, and they'll take those four bullets and win. Tony Franklin points out another key aspect of Raymond's coaching. Raymond was always willing to listen. We had worked on a play which ended up Steve Rogan throwing the winning touchdown to Greg Hawthorne. That was back when the refrigerator was in the backfield for Chicago. When we put Steve Moore in the backfield, he was 6'4", about 340. And we ran a, a fake to him, and the tight end curls out into the end zone, Greg Hawthorne, and he's all alone by himself, and that was the go-ahead touchdown to win. And one of the running backs said, Coach, you might want to look at maybe this play. And he thought about it and said, that's a great call right here, and that's what we did. Raymond would also gauge Tony's opinion on field goals. He was always going to pump you up, but, you know, I played for coaches that were the opposite. And, you know, Raymond, if he believed in you, he believed in you. He would always ask me, especially in the wintertime when it got really cold, if there was a particular situation we played in Indianapolis, wanted to know if I could make a 51-yard field goal, and it was like 20 degrees out there. And I said, yeah, coach, I think I could make this one. And he said, well, then go do it. And I ended up making it barely. And then later on, a couple of weeks later, we played at home, and it was like a 53-yard field goal into the wind. And he said, what do you think? And I said, coach, it would probably be the best kick I ever made in my life. I hate for us to lose field position over that. And he said, okay, I'm glad you were honest, and we ended up punting the ball. I mean, he would believe you when you told him things. Raymond coached the New England Patriots through the 1989 season. He worked another two years in the NFL as an assistant coach. The Pro Football Hall of Fame inducted Raymond Barry and his Colts teammate Jim Parker in 1973. In 1974, Raymond was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. He says that his family heritage adds to what that honor means to him. When you, if you come out of the state of Texas and... If your dad's a Texas high school football coach, uh, when you get elected into the Texas Hall of Fame, you can't get too much better than that, so it was quite an honor. Raymond Barry, without question, is one of the greatest and most storied players in NFL history. We've already talked about his individual accomplishments of retiring as the NFL's most productive receiver in history, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and his clutch performance in the 1958 NFL Championship game that produced a receiving record that stood for over half a century. He elevated the position of wide receiver into both a craft and an art form. As a coach, he took a talented group of players who didn't believe in themselves, hoisted them up, and guided them all the way to the Super Bowl. And as Tony Franklin points out, his legacy spilled off the field as well. Man, he was a 
truly a player's coach because he played the game before and he knew the trials and tribulations that the players went through. And man, what a great guy to play football for. One of the top influences in my own life was Raymond Berry. Raymond Berry, truly one of the all-time greats, both on and off the field. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, In the Locker Room with Raymond Berry, presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame and book your stay at the recently renovated Hampton Inn, Wago North.